Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Reckless Atalk, our TTRPG interview show where we sit down with some of our favorite writers, players, GMs, and streamers to get to know a little bit more about what makes them who they are. I am, as always, your host, GM Nathan, and this week I am thrilled to speak to tabletop role-playing game performer, game designer, and friend of the show, S. Kaya J. Interviewing a friend is, I have found, really difficult. (laughs) First, uh, I often know a huge amount of what they do and feel like I am doing the show and them and possibly, like, my soul a disservice by not asking every in-depth question possible. And second, you know, you just kind of want to make sure that you do, as interviewer, everything in your power, even more than usual, to make sure everyone listening is grabbed by their shoulders and shaken, audio-wise, until they understand how freaking cool and awesome your guest and friend is. Luckily, Kaya makes it extremely easy because she is so amazing as a person, creator, and contemplator. The interview covers the basics, her time as Lillison on the Curse of Strahd actual play Twice Bitten, game design, her role in the new TTRPG charity in the making, Diversity Saves, but we also touch on bringing layers and humanity to your characters, enjoying making something versus enjoying having made something, and considering what the world and the people in it do to you, and vice versa. Just a wonderful contemplative discussion that I think has something for everyone to think about and incorporate into their approach to gaming and maybe life. Anyway, that's enough for me. As always, there are links in the show notes. Please give Kaya a follow and enjoy this week's episode. See you next week. Kaya. Hello, Nathan. Hello. This is us starting. <laughs> good to see you. It is very good to see you. How are you today? I am currently being beset by the noises of construction over there, which started <laughs> right after we started recording, and the snores of my cat over here, which also started just now. So, <laughs> A beautiful cacophony of life surrounds you. Yes, uh, and, and-, and the, the most mellifluous sound of them all is your voice coming oh, through my headphones. Wow, wow, wow. thank you. Starting off, starting off the interview by, by buttering up the, the interviewer is always a a correct and good call. Uh, Well, Kaya, before we start talking more about me, which is obviously what we're here for, let's be sure to let everyone who's listening know who you are. Please introduce yourself to our beautiful, beautiful listeners. Hello, I'm Kaya. I am known as Mirror underscore Lock on many places, including Twitter, Twitch, and Itch. I am the creator of several solo journaling RPGs, including Her Odyssey. And I am also the player of Lillison on Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten, which is an actual play which is now over, but for some reason people still want to get more content from people it. Are, so. Yeah, I, it, people are still talking about it. It's very, It's been very cool to, to really like dig back in and see. Yeah, uh, it's been almost an entire year since that show wrapped up, and uh, I may or may not be working on something for that one-year anniversary. <gasps> oh, 
Oh, interesting. He says, jotting jotting things down in his notepad application over on the side here. But uh, yes, it is so exciting to to talk to you. We've we have known each other in the space uh, basically since uh, we came since I came into it. We being reckless attack, not you. So it's it's lovely to finally finally fully complete the circle of friendship by making content at the same time together, which is the true mark of any good content friendship, obviously. Achievement unlocked. Mm-hmm. Exactly, precisely. But, but let's not, you know, let's, we can't be talking about our recent past, our personal past, without really delving first, of course, into your past, Kaya. Um, so we're here, we're here nominally to talk about tabletop role-playing games and all the things that kind of go along inside of it. So for you, I would like to start the same place that we usually start, which is, do you remember how you first got into tabletop role-playing games? Um, and not even got into them, but was kind of introduced to the ephemeral concept that is TTRPGs. There are a couple of different starting points I could mm-hmm. talk about. Um, there, There is a long-lost little <laughs> 10-year-old girl who was sitting in borders by herself while her mother was off at the mall and just <laughs> leafing through all the 3.5 splat books, you know, hoping for somebody to play with someday. <laughs> um, I think my first real game of D&D, and it was D&D, was probably when I was 12 or 13 and some of my friends from summer camp we're getting together for a few days over the summer. And um, one of my friends had an older brother who was really cool and played D&D. And so <laughs> I mean, he offered... like all the, all the cool people play yeah, tabletop yeah. role-playing games, yeah. classically. And uh, he offered to run a one-shot for his little sister's friends. And we had a very nice little adventure. And then that was it for a couple of years until my uh my high school person i was dating at the time um (laughs) introduced me to magic the gathering being held at a local game store that had a giant DD game in the back room like i'm talking like 20 players like that was one game that was one game whoa (laughs) i i don't know how the dm managed to pull that off but uh that's uh, that's when I learned the rules. Did not really super get into it because it wasn't, you know, as you may imagine, it wasn't really the best atmosphere for <laughs> getting heavily invested into a character or the mm-hmm. overarching story or anything like that. So I played with a couple different groups of friends, uh, a couple of little mini campaigns here and there over the years until I want to say 2018 in which I joined a campaign that a friend of mine was playing online just in order to observe it, just to start. Um, And then after the first session of observing it, I went to the DM and said, hey, if you you ever (laughs) have an opening in your game, I understand you have six players right now, but if you ever have an opening in your game, I would love to join. And she was like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, you want to play a cleric? Like, we need a cleric. Uh, and so that is how I became the eighth player to join a game. Oof. Because there was another observer who joined at the same time I did. And that was that was just a blast. Because that was the first time that everybody was there 
in order to play a game of D&D rather than this is the thing that we do with our buddies every Friday night. Yeah, where we're right. just chilling and, and stuff like that. You know. D&D being like a background activity to hanging out as a group of friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, no shade against all of the Friday night campaigns that are just getting yeah. together with friends and chilling. But, um, you know, the, the amount of just passion and depth that these people put into the story arcs they wanted, the symbolism that they were latching on to, you know, <laughs> I... I know for a fact that one of the other players in the game had a backstory of 120 something pages on Google Docs. Um, <laughs> it's it it was it was a thing. So, <laughs> and was this like a totally homebrew game slash world, or were you playing through something? It was. I think it was very very lightly modeled on um, just various aspects of. 5e i know orcus was the big bad but it was a homebrew setting um it was uh as far as i can tell a homebrew plot um lots of people's backstories got woven into the overall Mm -hmm. plot so the dm was doing a lot of front-end work there (laughs) it was if it was not homebrew it was well homebrew enough to count as a homebrew homebrew situation got it yeah and and so for you, it sounds like you getting into a group was kind of the like turning point for you of like, yes, ah, tabletop role playing games. This is for me. I'm interested in this. Do you remember like what what specific kind of part about it really like grabbed you? Um, was it just the kind of the the performative part? Was it the the themes and kind of the drama or, um, you know, especially in those early days, what was the the thing that kind of turned turned the engine on for you um i would say that in the early days it was more about escapism for me um just you know teenage me going like ah yes i would like to be a mystical elf living in the woods researching (laughs) magic um but in the period of time between when I was playing D&D with friends in high school and when I discovered that you could do this like super seriously online, um, I got heavily into LARPing mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure I'm going to go into my, my bigger LARP spiel a little <laughs> later on, but the depth of feeling of getting into your character in LARPing and the complexity of character arcs and just like plot twists and stuff in general in LARPing was something that I had gotten used to. And it was something that I hadn't had before in my tabletop role-playing campaigns where it was much more a, you know, monster, smash the monster, net loot type thing. And so finding out that I could bring all of that psychological depth into TTRPGs with the right table, with the right setting was really interesting to me so something that is very consistent with a lot of the stuff you do and you do a great many things you do game design you're a player you do all kinds you know a writer uh a a uh you know and uh oh my gosh i was gonna say sarcastically something along the lines of you know thought leader or something but i couldn't i couldn't find a medium douchey way to say it as a joke and my brain only came up with actually douchey ways to say it um, but a, someone, who, yeah, <laughs> someone who is who is thoughtful uh, about tabletop role playing games, 
And it, it is really apparent to me that the things that you just mentioned of like the kind of like psychological parts of it, the depth of emotion, that is something that you really bring to all of your products and all of your experiences and all the things that you put out into, into the, into the space. Um, so for you, do you have like a sense of what that does kind of for you as a, as a person? you know, kind of like engaging in activities, LARPing, uh, writing games, writing, creating characters and playing characters, writing whatever. Um, like, do you have a, do you have a kind of a, an understanding of like why that is so kind of attractive to you? Because you do it and you do it so well across all of the things you do. It just stands out so, so notably. Um. In lieu of answering the question, I will wave <laughs> my hands really hard mm -hmm. and direct you to my current Twitter display name, which is Kaya, comma, Warlock of Many Faces. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the most valuable things that people can get, by which I mean I get, from role-playing games of any type, of playing D&D, playing Pathfinder, playing a solo journaling role-playing game, playing in a LARP, is the chance to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I mean that on a couple of different levels. You can be not the person who is stuck working from home. Right. You, know, you can be a half-orc with a talking Warhammer friend and you know a bunch of buddies that you ride or die with. But you can also be the person who plays half works in a real and you know realistic and sensitive way you can be the person who puts a lot of thought into the setting of the campaigns you run mm -hmm. you know you have the opportunity to change how you are perceived by a group of other people by the actions that you take rather than the circumstances of your current life. Yeah. And I think that that might be even more important than just the opportunity to be role-playing as some character. So that, that just immediately makes me think of, and, and we immediately jumped from, oh, let's start at the beginning to let's, Let's talk about the end and what you've been working on and all that stuff. So sorry, listener, uh, deal with it, I guess. Um, so you, you've released, I think, what is it, four or five games? Most of them solo journaling TTRPGs. Re yes. Recently, right? uh, I have released four, what I call full games. Um, three of them are solo journaling TTRPGs. And two, what I called Odd Bijou, which are multiplayer kind of games kind of experiences they're not solo they're not journaling they're arguably rpgs but uh they're <laughs> they're basically an excuse to role play a bit while you do totally normal life things like going to ikea or sorting clothes for donation so the the, the diy identity for those of you who are interested in the ikea game is fabulous and hilarious and wonderful and everything you'd hope it would be I 
had a lot of fun writing it, and I do not think anybody's ever actually going to play it, which is fun. <laughs> it, it exists in the world. Let this be a call to action to you all who are listening to this episode. Um, but, you know, looking back, especially kind of on a lot of your solo journaling work, an untitled mouth game Gal- is Galatea, right? I've never said it out loud. I just realized in this moment, live on air, that I've read it 400 million times and said it 400 million times in my head and never necessarily in, in, a, word, in a way that needed to be pronounced correctly. Uh, Her Odyssey and Pearl and Provenance. Um, those are, every one of those has a, has a stated theme or several stated themes or or kind of feelings or emotions or just kind of, vibes that they are very kind of obviously trying to communicate stuff like hope stuff about like self-identity um all kinds of things so coupling that with the what you just said about kind of like self-identity and through the expression at tabletop role-playing games is that something when you are kind of endeavoring to create a new game are, are those sort of experiences kind of what you start with? Where you're like, I want to deliver this kind of an experience to a to a potential player, um, or kind of where where does that begin, and and what's the process for kind of bringing those sorts of themes and feelings out for for people who might be playing your games? Yeah, that is one of the places that I start. Um, I often start with just having two separate pools of ideas. One of them is a pool of actual ideas. It's a pool of, <laughs> I want to write a game that is a metaphor for the Boxer Rebellion. Um, I want to write a game that is about demigods going on a road trip. Um, I want to write a game that is about dignity facing the end of life. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, two out of those three examples are real games I'm working on. And, and are those are those things that you are personally? This is a you know kind of maybe too much of a, of a blanket question, but are those often things that you are kind of personally working through or thinking about, or are they just kind of topics that you find interesting and want to kind of put forward to other? If that if that distinction makes sense. Yeah, um, they are things that basically hook onto my brain and mm-hmm. don't really let go. Yeah, um, they are not always things that are of deep personal significance to me. Um, when I was just sitting in line at the DMV, I was giving myself a little challenge of brainstorming as many possible hooks as <laughs> as I could, and um, that was where I got the idea for the demigods going on a road trip um because i you know i was at the dmv but (laughs) if i can't stop thinking about one of them then i think it's a good idea and it goes into that pool Mm -hmm. um the other pool of ideas i have is it comes from reading a whole bunch of srds and thinking about a whole bunch of different ways that mechanics work and could interlock with each other and could be broken apart and basically the rest of the time I'm just sitting and sort of taking an idea from this pool Mm -hmm. and a mechanic (laughs) from this pool and seeing if, you know, if they stick together sufficiently. And Mm -hmm. most of the time they don't, but occasionally (laughs) they do. And then I put it on my list of projects to work on. 
<laughs> how how robust is your cur- I have to ask as an interviewer and maybe concerned friend, how robust is your current list of projects? Okay, hold on. I'm going to check. <laughs> I haven't updated it in a few mo- uh, few weeks, so feels like a feels like a concerning start cuz I can tell you I have a certain number of projects, but I like to do that just off the top of my head. Let's see. Um, well, like I said, I haven't updated it recently, but <laughs> there's 34 on the list. And I'm <laughs> estimating about three that I haven't put on there yet. Yep, that that was what I was uh, I'll say afraid of. I'll use I'll use that word choice. That's fine. <laughs> that's a fine word choice. Uh but that's I, I think that that without even having spoken to you about you know kind of your process that was what i imagined it to be of like yeah just like here's the idea here's a bunch of mechanics do they mesh let's let's see where that goes um so do you something i thought a lot about recently is is having is creating things because you have opinions about them you know and and being like ah yes i i nathan listen to a lot of actual play podcasts therefore i have opinions on how one could or should be made and therefore I can, you know, I, I am empowered to kind of make my own version of it. Um, and obviously that strikes me as you read a lot of rules and, and, and try to consume them and take them apart. So how, how did you get into the practice of like, what, at what point did that kind of become an interest, a hobby for you? Um, and was it even before you were thinking about making your own game? I actually have no idea when I started doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. I do know that my very first game, Her Odyssey, which is written on Caltrop Core, came about because I saw that Caltrop Core existed. Yeah. Saw that Lex was talking about the absolute ease of writing a game on this system. So I downloaded it and I took a look and I thought, okay, this is a very, you know, nice and easy and approachable way to make a game. And I don't have any ideas for one. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> you know, let it sit. And a couple of days later, I was taking a shower and all of a sudden, uh, just this entire other mechanic barreled into my head and linked up with the Caltrop core system. And I th- thought, all right, well, I'm going to have to get out of the shower and dry myself <laughs> off and then go rush off and you know, write out this, this wonderful idea that I've had. Um, for a while after that, I was looking at other SRDs because I had ideas that I thought would fit better in them, but I never actually found one that I said, ah, I will use this for my next game. Yeah. Right. What I ended up doing was just collecting a very large set of SRDs of, I'm going to write a game for one of these someday, I guess. (laughs) and then when it came time to examine one of the ideas that i had for the content of a game i kept on going like well i can use this srd but i'm gonna have to change this about it yeah i think i have to change that about it and maybe i should just like mush these two together like completely uh which is what i did for untitled moth game it is a breathless and carta mashup and i don't know if i've that is the thing that I cannot say yet because <laughs> this is going to be aired too early for the public knowledge. See that now. See that's 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 what they call it in a bit in the biz a teaser. 
yes. is stay tuned. Go follow Kaya on all the socials. Links in the in the show notes, et cetera, et cetera, for deep secrets and whatnot. Um, so, and again, I know we're we're jumping down, you know, kind of in in different directions, and I'm I'm personally fine with that. But um, something, so another thing that I was really interested in, kind of getting your thoughts on when it comes to designing games for you personally is that a lot of is that I think not not proportionally because you have the old Bajou games but um in terms of kind of excluding those you do a lot of solo solo journaling games um and I was a hoping that you as someone who has written many of them could you just kind of first of all tell someone who might be interested in that genre of game a little bit about about what it is yeah uh, a solo journaling RPG is a game that you play by yourself with the game providing you with prompts or choices or things to think about. You consider what the game sets in front of you and then you write down in your journal, usually in the form of journal entries or writing as a character that you're developing, what the results of your choices or experiences are, how your character feels about them, what's happening to them. Uh, and this can span a whole bunch of different genres. There are the Wretched and Alone games based off of the Wretched and Alone SRD, which are based off of a Jenga tower as a mechanic. And so the games that are produced from it are usually games where you are clinging on desperately to hope knowing that disaster in the form of the tower <laughs> falling over is likely right around and yeah li like literally includes a jeng like your play with a jenga tower and like you have to pull out different ones depending on what happens it's a cool system <laughs> yeah and there are wretched and alone games that are about being lost in space or being lost in the middle of nowhere in the ocean with a Lovecraftian horror coming out to get you, or uh, being a 17th century madwoman being exiled to your family's country estate to live by yourself, or any of no or any number of sub genre choices. Yeah, <laughs> and there are also um, games based off of other systems that are about exploration. The Carta system is, at its core, uh, laying out a map of different cards, and you have your little figurine, you move it physically across the map, and as you step onto each new card, you flip it over and find out what's waiting for you there. So games um, written off of that SRD tend to emphasize wonder and the unexpected and discovery. It's also an interesting thing to note that not all solo journaling games are about a physical journal in which you write things. I think, hmm. I think the Wretched, which is the originator of the Wretched Alone SRD, was written with the instruction to record audio logs of what you were going through. And... Is, is this a good place to plug Cassie? Because I would like to plug Cassie. By all means, always. <laughs> friend of friend of the show, Cassie Mothwin, yes. Yes, and previous Reckless Atalk guest. Indeed. 
uh, Cassie Mothwin has done streams of multiple solo journaling RPGs uh, in which instead of writing things down, uh, she just tells the camera uh, what is going on in character. She also has on her blog um, written records of the games that she has played. I, I was I was really curious and and maybe we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but why was that a genre of game that was was interesting to you? To, I mean, to the point where you've you've done a handful of them now. <laughs> so interestingly enough, I have actually only ever played one solo journaling game. Really? I yes. hmm. um, fascinating. It's it's really two halves of two different solo journaling <laughs> games. Um, the way that I came across the genre was some time ago, there was just a little meme going around. Um, there was a website where you could press a button to refresh and the website gave you, these are your two TTRPG stats. And they would be things like, your TTRPG stats are beauty and justice. Or your TTRBG stats are salmon and moonlight. Yeah, right. And it was it. it was just a fun toy, and it made the rounds mm-hmm. in a couple of my different circles for a while. And I took a look at who made this thing and what else he did. And his name is James Chip. Um, you can find him on Itch. And I saw that he had written a solo journaling RPG called just going to double check this. I do not want to give the wrong name here. The Queen Returns. And I downloaded it and I looked at it and I saw that it was based off of another game called Princess with a Cursed Sword. So I downloaded that and I took a look at it (laughs) and I said, this looks interesting. It looks like I could actually mash these two together to be a two-player letter writing game and so i pitched that to one of my larp friends who had been on a letter writing larp kick for a while and so (laughs) very specific sentence you just said but like i'm with you i'm following (laughs) (laughs) um so we played these kind of as solo journaling rpgs but we were writing physical letters to each other like sealing them with wax stamps one of these games is about a queen who has left the kingdom and is not returning and is greatly missed. And the other one is about a princess who has been exiled with a cursed sword to do a thing and then maybe come back after she does the thing. So you can see how these fit together very easily. So I was writing as somebody left behind in the royal court and my friend was writing as the queen slash princess who had had to leave with the cursed sword and we just wrote letters And it was great. It was not exactly a solo journaling RPG experience because we were (laughs) bouncing off of each other. We were coming up with setting details and building things up. So I count that as playing half of a solo journaling RPG. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The other half that I've played is... um, Once again, I'm going to plug Cassie. Uh, Cassie's upcoming game, Tangled Blessings, which I playtested in the two-player mode. So again, kind of half 
a solo journaling RPG. Put those two halves together. I've played one solo journaling RPG. <laughs> with with four people. <laughs> four, with, four total players, yeah. With with two other players. It's, <laughs> yeah. So I write solo journaling RPGs and I say, ah, yes, I am writing the games that I wish I could play. But then I don't actually play them. I mean, so, tales all this time. Yeah. So what... Is there anything about, again, kind of the format of it that is that is interesting to you? You know, if like in, in terms of not just it being a, you know, you could do a four player, you know, kind of like, sure, it's one session and it still explores all these themes or two players or make your own SRD, whatever. But especially, I guess, for someone who is interested in it, what makes that your paintbrush of choice or a paintbrush of choice, I should say? It is kind of an interesting outgrowth of the LARP writing philosophy of Mm -hmm. you have a story to tell and you don't want people to just read it in story form. You want that story to happen to them. You want them to Mm -hmm. experience the story. You want them to have more or less of a choice in how it unfolds. And you want it to be slightly different for for each person. So for me, it comes from much the same place as the part of me that wants to write a beautiful short story and put it out on the internet, but also get people invested in that story and give them a hand in, in making that themselves. So in a way, it's a very selfish place that this comes from, (laughs) because you can tell people this is a story worth experiencing Mm -hmm. that I have written and am putting in front of you. And usually when they play it, they will in fact find that it is a story worth experiencing because they are so personally invested Mm -hmm. in how it went. And then you can just sort of reap the the rewards of like, ah, yes, I made (laughs) this, this thing that really part of the credit for that always goes to the players. Um, I've seen, Players make beautiful things out of solo journaling RPG rules that I think are very kind of bare bones. And I have seen players make the best out of (laughs) games that are written so restrictively that you can't really bring more of yourself into them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the sweet spot in the middle of myself. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that that is going to be a moving target for for a while, certainly. So what is the experience as a creator to to hear that feedback that, ah, aha, I did create something that you interacted with and and brought you joy or tears or contemplation or, or whatever? It's a surprise every time because I am deeply, deeply of the belief that the vast majority of people who get my games are going to look through them and think, ah, that would be fun to play sometime and then put it on their (laughs) virtual shelf and never Mm -hmm. actually play. So for a while I was saying, I am designing games not for the people who are actually going to play them, but the people who are thinking about playing them. Yeah, definitely. Which I guess is not actually a healthy way to approach (laughs) game design. Uh, Well, I mean... You know, we we started out making the show of like, we are making the show that we like, and if people listen to it, cool, great. But like, mostly, 
we're doing it for us that we enjoy it. So it's it's on the same spectrum, at least, in case yeah. that is helpful to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so every time I hear from somebody who has actually played, there's a part of me that, that says, oh, I really want to see your oh, journal, yeah. your log, because I am very invested in what direction you you brought this. Um, and there's a part of me that says, oh, I really want to see your, your journal and your log because I do not believe that you actually <laughs> sat down and played my game. Yep, yep, uh, I guess show I me the that. evidence. <laughs> yes. And, and every time somebody actually does share their journal with me, it's always a vastly different experience that they went through. It's different from the other journals from the same game that I've seen. And it's different from the sort of prototypical experience that I had in my head while I was writing it and they never cease to fascinate me. And uh, this is an open call. If you have ever played one of my games and you want to share <laughs> your journal, your resulting journal with me, just, you know, tag me on Twitter, tag me on itch. I absolutely want to see. Do you, and and this is just because it's like a different, different genre of creation than, than what I do um, where podcasts are very much like it's our thing and people can enjoy it and connect with it and kind of, uh, you know, build their own connections on top of it. But that is a very fundamentally different place than than creating games. And you have done both uh, and done so for for a good uh, a good while now. So, do you have like where where does that what what is that experience for you? Do you have any of the like? ownership feeling over the rule set or kind of just like what's your relationship to the final quote unquote final products of the journal of the experience? Yeah. Um, I think it's a very different experience because while I was on twice bitten, which I may or may not be talking about a little more later <laughs> could, on, it'd be soon. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Um, there were a lot of people who were enthusiastic fans and had, I don't want to say incorrect readings of the <laughs> characters or what was going on, but readings that were sufficiently different from yeah. what the players thought that it would get weird sometimes about whether to be happy that people are invested or <laughs> upset that they're, you know, reading things that aren't actually there or, you know, there was um, a while when there were a couple of people who were, I guess, personally upset that my character who was being devious and sneaky was not fully <laughs> above board and was calling me a traitor to the table, which was deeply weird. <laughs> yep, that's, hey, hey, dear listener, not a good one. I don't know if I'm, I'm sure that individual is not listening to this, but, you know, just blanket statement. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Um, and you don't really get that sort of possessiveness or defensiveness yeah. as the creator of a game. Um, because you go in thinking, I want to set up this framework and create the space for the people who are going to be playing it to make their own stuff. And yeah. I think the closest I've come to the equivalent of the actual play feeling uh, is when I watch somebody who is streaming my game or 
posting photos of what they're playing and I can see that they are getting a rule wrong. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. less about me being like, oh, how dare you get a rule wrong? How dare right. you not yeah. read this thing thoroughly? And more of a case of like, oh, you know, I, I hope that them going about it this other way is not going to fundamentally break other rules and ruin the experience for them. <laughs> yeah. But if they're having fun, you know, they get to have fun their own way. Um, and if they come out the other side with a better experience for having customized their play, then that's all the better. And, and, you know, one of those like, eh, if they don't know that the rules, yeah, the rules, uh, not right. And they don't mind. Great. Cool. doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> right. But other than that, you know, have at it. <laughs> well, now I, I picked up your very casual hint. Kaya, you know, <laughs> directing the conversation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm being sarcastic for any listeners who, 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 who need that pointed out specifically. Uh, but I would love to talk about about Twice Bitten just a little bit and about actual play, especially because obviously Twice Bitten is the one you've done the most of. But I know you've appeared on many other streams and done a lot of other work in that space as well. So I guess kind of first and foremost, could you just remind remind the listener what twice bitten is <laughs> especially for people who might not know and again it's been it's been off the air for almost a whole year now which is uh, crazy to me as someone who came onto it right as it was ending uh because the passage of time is frightening yes it is but not as frightening as count strad von zarevich who is <laughs> wow you're you're a fucking pro so good <laughs> flawless um who is the main antagonist of curse of strad which is the arguably most popular 5e module to run and to play, and uh, arguably also the module that is run rules as written the absolute least. <laughs> yeah, probably There's true. There's such a giant community of people who have written up homebrew for this campaign, sometimes very elaborate homebrew. Um, and there is such a, you know, a giant corpus of work around <laughs> changing various aspects yes. of this printed module in order to well do any of a number of things in order to make the language less racist in order to make um certain female characters more rounded out and, and fleshed out um uh, in a personality sense in order to add extra material and content for players who want to play past level 10, anything <laughs> you might think of. And specifically in a Discord server that is sort of based off of the subreddit for Curse of Strahd, um, there was a thought that Dragnacarta who is the author of Curse of Strahd Reloaded, uh, a very large set of guides to changing this module had which is what would it actually look like if somebody did run this thing 100 <laughs> rules as written as as intended can as, you imagine such a thing because nobody ever does it yeah and then he read through the module very carefully and was basically asking the whole time um well all of these things that we as a community say are ill thought out, you know, ill conceived and need to be changed. What role did they actually serve in the original mm -hmm. 
conception of this thing. Um, you may or may not know that the lead writer slash designer, Chris Perkins, ran a, you know, a Curse of Strahd game on stream in which he changed and homebrewed some things. So, you know, if even he was changing things around, then what was the original intent for all of these things? And the answer that Dragna came up with was Barovia is meant to be a crucible. It's not meant to be a place that you pass through and you fix things and everything is happy ever after. It's meant to be a place that changes you and you come out the other side and the real triumph is contained in your own character arc. So he pitched this to the community and said, what if we made a game around this? And of course, me being a sucker for, you know, the real <laughs> story was in the character arc all along. Right. Yep. Uh, I signed up for it. And four other DMs from that community also signed on. We had all run this game before with varying levels of homebrew. And we made our characters with the knowledge that we come in as deeply flawed and broken characters and we're going to get better in some way by the end. <laughs> and we're going to know some of the things that are coming up, but honestly, who even reads the rules as written? Yeah. Who, who reads the regular like, book? No, no, thank yeah, you. No, it, it's, it's definitely not the version of the game that we ran. So there's, there were definitely surprises. Um, I think that the extent to which Dragna tweaked twice bitten was basically there was a uh, an Adventurer's League rule that he pulled in, which is still technically, you know, a Wizards True. of the Coast printed thing. And there's a couple of places where the text actually contradicts itself. Uh, there's like just literally different things written yeah. about the same event in different places. So he had to try to mash those together in some place, you know, in some way, which is very different from the way that I ran my game. In your version of it, when you were DMing, A, who was that for? And B, how much uh, how much slapping in of, of Kaya slash community content did you do to, to your version of it? Yeah, um, I basically pulled out 60% of the written content and just threw it away. <laughs> there and was a Strahd there. Uh, there. It was named was, Barovia. Yes. And... And yeah, yeah. <laughs> other and, things happened. <laughs> uh, so many other things happened. Um, I pulled in things from the PC backstories that my players handed to me. Um, I had one player who wanted to be from Ravnica, the Magic the Gathering setting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I basically said, cool, there is now a previous group of Selesnian adventurers who came through Barovia 25 years ago. And you're going to, you know, find the results of what they did uh, now that they're all dead. Um, there <laughs> was natural causes. It's been 25 years, obviously, right? Yeah, natural causes. Uh, vampires are part of nature. Mm -hmm. um, there was a player who uh, had a backstory connected to the elven gods. And so I substituted some, I'm going to try to avoid spoilers, but uh, I substituted some of the things in the place, <laughs> the place with so many things in it uh, with mm -hmm. one of the corrupted elven gods who had come in uh, 800 years ago. And she became a secondary antagonist, um, who was also, you know, 
instrumental in shaping the backstory of yet another PC. And so, <laughs> yeah, there was just, just this entire other plot yeah, right. that was sitting in the place of where the plot would usually be. So going in, you mentioned that, you know, jokingly, like who reads the actual book? You know, there's there's so many little bits and bobbles and it is so sandboxy. Um, having played just a little bit of, of Curse of Strahd myself, it is just like, I don't know, wander around. There's terrible stuff everywhere. It's all horrible adventures that is going to, you know, kind of poke and prod and maybe ruin you. So going in and, and this can also be a kind of broader question about kind of how you create characters going in knowing Curse of Strahd in in as much as you did having run 40% of it how did you how did you go in creating a character for that and like what were your goals i guess knowing it was a show knowing it was going to be for a rules as written uh Curse of Strahd knowing you know kind of like what little you knew about what it was going to be all of those things kind of coming together so actually at the very beginning we were not intending it to be a show Oh, like, got it. We were we were streaming it, but we figured that it would only be mm-hmm. other people in the Curse of Strahd modding DM community who would watch. And I don't know if any of us would have changed anything about our characters if we had known, you know, oh, this is going to get out <laughs> to a wider audience. Um, but I think the transition was fine for me because I actually brought in a character that I had had before oh, cool. and that I was already familiar with. Um, I tend to, instead of making a new character for any number of things, (laughs) I tend to have these sort of STEM characters, just these collections of traits with similar names each time I peel off an instance of them and stick them into a different setting, (laughs) but whose details could vary drastically from setting to setting. I have a character who is generally a... 40 year old academic slash mage slash socialite slash you know these these collections of of traits that <laughs> yeah. are sort of you know refined high-ish society really dedicated to finding things out and do not trust her with your life and i can just take one of these and and put them in anywhere. Um, yeah. So Lillison, the character that I played uh, on Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten, had already the sort of core character traits of has magic, hates the fact that she has magic, <laughs> trying to be a rogue. Um, <laughs> and in the original few incarnations of her, uh, it was because she wanted to get away from her parents and was coming up with a whole new identity for herself for Twice Bitten. When we were given the character creation brief of make somebody who is flawed or traumatized or, you know, just not a good person. <laughs> yeah. um, I flipped through the player's handbook and found the line in the sorcerer flavor text that said, if a sorcerer does not use their magic regularly, often it will just like burst out and do chaotic things by itself. And that connected with my core mm-hmm. idea. And that's where I got the idea of somebody who can't control her magic because she didn't even know she had magic until 
terrible things happened. <laughs> and at that point, she had to deal with the fact that she was a terrible person who had made terrible things happen. Uh, so that yeah, that was my starting point. <laughs> so what we go, we start there, mm-hmm. and then play for what was it? Fifty three episodes, including the epilogue. It was meant to be every week. We had to start skipping some weeks, especially near the end. Uh, especially because we ended near the holiday season, and you know what holiday seasons do to <laughs> actual place. Yep. So a little bit about Lillison as a character and the. Uh, the contentiousness sometimes, I guess, uh, that that she would bring out. I don't know. There's a lot of words, obviously, playing one character for fifty some episodes. Well, I, I'll ask you, as the uh, as the creator and purveyor of of Lillison, what were what were some adjectives? Maybe some of the less nice adjectives to describe to describe your character. But you know, keep it inclusive, I suppose. Oh, uh, less nice adjective. I mean, she's not a good person. Yeah, right. Like, that's that's easy. <laughs> um, she crucially does not think that she herself is a good person mm-hmm. which makes all the difference sometimes you know yeah. sometimes you have players who are playing characters that are really not doing nice things but but <laughs> they think everything is justified and right. that's just a pain right uh, but in the classic kind of like ah your villains should think they're the good guys and blah 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 but it's fundamentally different to be like no i think i'm a bad person <laughs> yes Lillison is somebody who believes that she is a monster for reasons that are technically true. Um, She (laughs) has killed people in the past, both accidentally just because of who she is and on purpose because her father, who is a spy master, is also not a good person and is training all of his children to be ruthless and effective individuals (laughs) Um, in a very politically palatable way though Um, you know Lillison always fits fine in um, any sort of intrigue court type setting Um, and she also wants things figures out how to get them and then just executes on the most effective way to get them without (laughs) really having too many scruples about the way that she's going about things. Mm -hmm. But I think again, very importantly, she is smart enough to know that you can't burn all your bridges. And if you can get what you want with a minimum of pissing other people off, that is always preferable to the way that you can take that pisses a whole bunch of people off because you always want to keep your bridges unburned. You always want to keep your doors open. You know, if she, if she lived in the real world, she would absolutely be, you know, PR for some big terrible (laughs) company. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, Go, you know, you guys kind of got the missive and kind of the shared understanding of of we're making uh, characters who are again who are broken, who you know have challenges, have darkness, have whatever, right? Um, and that was kind of kind of the assignment. And you leaned in and said, "Ah, yes, and and yes, and," <laughs> and then continued to play that person for you know through the span of the show. And we won't we won't talk about the the ultimate fate of your character. Uh, but it was, it was, I'll put it this way. It seemed very on brand. 
how how do you go about playing a character like that who is you know very self motivated who is very who again whose scruples are uh, negotiable we'll say uh, and 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 wouldn't necessarily always align with oh I'm a good guy and I'm just gonna go you know I'm gonna save the day because that's that's what good guys do and also what the adventure dictates um, and so how do you, how do you marry that kind of complex character and that kind of uh, anti-adventure character in a lot of ways with a, with a, with an adventuring party and, and an adventure path? Um, I would say you have to go in before you create your character or in the middle of creating your character, consciously thinking of ways in which you can not be a giant pain to the rest of the party right. or your DM. <laughs> Crucially, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> always, always like, very important. Always go out of your way to think of ways in which they would want to cooperate with the party. Um, with Curse of Strahd, this is actually quite a bit easier because yeah. everybody goes in with the same motivating factor, which is to get the hell out of here. Yep. Don't be um, here any longer than we have to be. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so there's a strong argument to be made of whatever else it is that your character wants, your character wants to cooperate because yeah. there's this sort of shared goal. But no matter what setting you're in, make sure that there are a number of shared goals that you can hook your character into uh, reasons why your character wouldn't just go off by themselves uh, reasons why they would be interested in what are, in whatever hook the DM is dangling in front of you. And that could be, you know, your character is not a good person, but they care very deeply about one of the other party members. It could be your character is not a good person, but they care more about getting a specific thing done than about, you know, petty things like, you know, sticking it to the NPC or the party. Um, it could be something like, yes, we are, you know, very much at odds and we have fundamental differences in this party. And I am going to keep adventuring with you to prove that I am right and that <laughs> yeah. my method is better. And, you know, I am going to help you in your schemes just to show you that even when you succeed, like, haha, you know, you're not happy with the result anyway. Right. You can do it. There are options is the point. Yes. Um, and did you, did you enjoy doing that? For as long as you did, like, because because that's a tightrope walk, you know, and and that's something I've I've talked a lot about to a, a much goofier extent on our show with Checkers, the Grung Druid, um, yes. who is a force of chaos, and that is mm -hmm. his whole thing: is that he 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 is, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a mascot character, a little bit of like lol random kind of whatever, but. But Jonathan has a tightrope to walk because it's like, no, but like we, we need to keep the story going and we need to have character growth and you need to be a real person, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but but he, he gets to do it in a way that is still centered on like, ah, and we're being the heroes, right? And like, yeah, sure, I joke about not being the hero, but like at the end of the day, I, I, I Jonathan, still get to feel good about like, yeah, I'm the hero and I'm, you know, helping move the plot forward, et cetera. How did, how did what was your experience playing a character like Lillison? where you certainly were still doing like, you know, uh, 
heroic things in as much as that happens in Barovia. Um, but is again, is a much more intense, somber, personal, and kind of like potentially adversarial is a fine word, maybe. I don't know. You get it. Tightrope walk for an extended period of time, <laughs> like like you did. I actually thought it would be much harder than it ended up being mm-hmm. um, because in Barovia, yeah, everything is so terrible already that you <laughs> uh-huh. really can't, you really, you really would have to go way out of your way in order to successfully make anything worse. <laughs> yeah. um, either that or you just accidentally make things worse, but that's something the whole party can do. Um, it also helps that if you are playing the sort of non-heroic who is trying real hard and not to the sort of non-heroic who goes around like screwing things up for yeah. fun, um, it gets a lot easier because you can justify any action any way you want. Um, if everybody is is helping to save a family from some terrible catastrophe, you know, everybody else could be doing it for like, oh, yes, this is the right thing to do. And you could be doing it for like, if we help them, then they're, you know, going to give us yeah. information. Uh, you know, we might get some allies later. And that's a very nice, pragmatic and not pure good uh, way to justify in character the thing that you were pretty sure you were going to do. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something kind of one last kind of on the on the subject of character creation. Um, and I've heard you talk about this on some other shows, but it was so lovely and valuable, I think, that I am also asking you about it. But the the face, ego, heart kind of process yeah. um, for, char- for character creation. Um, so I was just wondering if you would kind of talk a little bit about what that is, how you learned it, and how, how you've applied it. Yeah, so the face, ego, heart system comes from a LARP written by Warren Tusk called The Dance in the Dawn. And that is a game where you have six players playing Ladies of Ash and seven players playing Lords of Ice. And the Ladies of Ash and Lords of Ice meet for a midnight ball. They dance with each other. They learn more about each other. And they try to find their true love from among the other people gathered there. And as you may notice, there is one more Lord of Ice than there is a Lady of Mm -hmm. Ash. And one of the Lords of Ice does not have a true love who is there. And any wrong pairings that are decided on at the end of the night uh, do not get there happily ever after. And so if you have a game that is all about finding the one, Mm -hmm. you know, finding the right one for you, it's very important to make sure that the players are portraying these characters in the correct way. Yeah, right. Um, And so one of the ways in which the writer facilitated this was writing out these personality display charts. They consisted of the face traits, which are personality traits that you give off just to complete strangers, very casual acquaintances, the very surface of your personality. Underneath those are the ego traits, which are parts of yourself that you might show to close friends, uh, parts of yourself that you show when you're opening up to somebody. And underneath that uh, are the heart traits, which are the most closely guarded pieces of yourself. Often 
uh, the parts that have trauma or vulnerabilities or deep insecurities, you know, all the parts of yourself that you really don't want to show the entire world and that you will only show in this game uh, to the person that you think is your true love. Very conveniently, uh, a lot of these people are written in this game so that they have complementary yeah. life experiences right. and can help each other through their past traumas. And it's very, um, it's it's an uplifting game uh, <laughs> for all that it has sort of gothic fairy tale overtones. This system is also incredibly helpful for lots of other mm -hmm. uses, including um, TTRPG characters that you expect to be playing over a very long period of time, because you can start out just yeah. showing a certain set of traits that, you know, your adventuring party mates don't really know you. You're not going to open up super deep to them at the beginning, but as time goes on, as you go through more things together, um, your character can get more vulnerable. They can sort of talk about their real dreams and wishes. They can talk about some of the things that they've been struggling from, from an early age. And if you sort of set this up at the beginning of character creation, you can foreshadow ways in which your character acts just a little bit off from how they usually do, or, you know, things that are interesting variations of how they want to portray themselves that you can reveal later on, like, ah, this really comes from this other trait or past history that is sort of buried deeper underneath. So do you go in when you're making, uh, when you're making a character, do you go in with a pretty firm idea of who they are? Like, do you, do you try to be like, this is who they are up to this point and and then kind of reveal those layers and add layers as experiences are added? Or, you know, how much room do you leave for kind of like retroactive discovery, I guess, if, if that makes sense, as opposed to kind of reacting and growing in the moment? Yeah, um, I want to say that I <laughs> have everything planned out from the very beginning, but uh, honestly, it changes like quite a lot. Like I had my face, ego and heart written out for Lillison before we started playing. And after episode one, I was like, <laughs> all right, well, you know, some of this is just clearly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is also the case that as you play through a campaign, um, things that happen during the campaign will change your character in real right. time. Um, and so that is less of retroactive discovery and more just, you know, your character changing and growing. Um, and it may also be that as time goes on and the rest of the party helps your character through some of the things that they struggle with, you know, some traits may evolve or may no longer be there. Uh, your character might pick up exciting new neuroses. Um, <laughs> Fingers crossed. I can certainly confirmed that at the beginning of the campaign, Lillison had no particular feelings about fire. Um, <laughs> but, you know, after burning to death, not once, but uh, I think several <laughs> times, uh, that is definitely a part of her personality now. I had kind of one, one last kind of overarching question about Twice Bitten. And that is, and that is about uh, that it ended. <laughs> that that you you got to play this character in this campaign for a year plus, 
and you know kind of got to to carry it through a whole arc and also you got to complete a campaign and complete an artistic expression that was consumed by other people and on on a wide scale you know not just at a at a table or or even in a larp group or anything like that so now a year on how do you experience the whole arc, but also experience having ended it and having kind of this body of work that people reacted to and connected with and had, you know, a lot of affection, a lot of affection for. It was a huge honor. Um, It really just was this sort of transcendental experience. And it was also a huge stressor. Yeah. Um, having finished it feels way better than it did (laughs) while we were all in the middle of it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's something to keep in mind for anybody who is trying to make something episodic, whether you are DMing for just a group of friends at your table, whether you are making uh, an actual play, whether, you know, even whether you stream video games. It always, always, always feels like way more stress and work while you're in the middle of doing the work. And you have to think when you're embarking on something, you know, do I actually want to do this thing or do I want to have done this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't want to do the thing, <laughs> then consider not doing the thing. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I do not actually have to say this to you, Nathan, DM of, you know, the critically acclaimed <laughs> actual play Reckless Attack, but um, there's going to be parts in the middle where you seriously consider quitting. And uh, there's going to be parts in the middle where those around you are going to be telling you, like, this thing is, you know, is really taking a toll on you. You know, have you considered not doing it right (laughs) and you know you you have to evaluate at that point do i think that the end product if i finish this is going to be worth what i put into it or do i think that this is just sunk cost effect am i throwing bad time after good um there were quite a few moments in the middle of making twice bitten where I thought it would, you know, just not be worth it. Uh, mm-hmm. When those, the stress and the time commitment and the audio editing and, you know, coordination and everything just felt like a lot. And I am proud of having finished the thing. I understand why a lot of people were disappointed that we teased uh, a Rhyme of the Frost Maiden campaign afterwards with the same people and then ended up canceling it. Um, but I do not really understand anymore why anybody would have wanted to watch that. Like it sounds, <laughs> it sounds horrible. Um, but, you know, I am glad that the group made a thing. I mm-hmm. am you know, proud of the thing that we made and I do not ever go back and re-listen to it. Mm. Um, 
And I think that this might just be the same for a lot of creators. When you are done toiling over something, you know, you really just need to not be in the thick of that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Makes plenty of sense to moi. So do you, do you at this point, and, and not even necessarily in terms of what you're interested in doing more of or spend your time doing or whatever, but more on like kind of an identity level. And like when you, when you, when you look into the, the magical TTRPG mirror, do you see a player? Do you see a, a, you know, kind of keeper storyteller GM? Do you see a writer? Do you see a designer um, or some combination thereof? Like what, what does it, what does it feel like <laughs> that, that you are? Uh, why not? all um yeah and 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 that's there are no wrong answers that is a very legitimate one yeah um i think at the moment i'm seeing mostly a designer um i was previously leaning a lot more on the dm slash storyteller side of things but preparing a campaign is a lot of work and again i'm sure i do not need to tell you you know nathan dm of critically acclaimed podcast reckless attack put that Uh, on a business card do it um but it ends up being a lot of work for a very small number of people and if they are people that you really care about and that really matter to you then that in itself can um you know, justify all of the time and energy that you put into it. But sometimes, you know, you make a thing and you can't really DM for 800 people at once. Um, I'm sure now that I've said that, there's going to be somebody out there who tries. Right. Well, people trying to do a thing and the wisdom of doing that thing are extremely disconnected, as I'm as I'm sure you well know. <laughs> yes. Um, and... Right now, I'm really enjoying the experience of writing a game for other people to experience and putting it out there and waiting and eventually seeing other people picking it up and going through this sort of story that I've made, not even for them specifically, but the story that I've made and seeing what they make out of that personalized for themselves. Uh, That is a really rewarding feeling. And it may be that in another year or two, I sort of circle back around to wanting Mm -hmm. to be a player full time, wanting to have, you know, tighter control of one character, one psychological experience, um, using that as a tool of self-expression. But, you know, that's that's for the future. Something that that really has, I mean, it stood out to me and is, is so clear in so much of your work is the story part, you know, and the, and not just the story, but the themes, the arcs, the character, you know, that sort of thing. And that, that being very at the forefront of a lot of the, the stuff that you're doing. Um, so I, I, I wanted to ask, especially as we're kind of starting to wind down a little bit and having talked about kind of the breadth of the things that you do and why you do them and how and all that stuff, what are the types of stories that you enjoy not just putting out, but taking in and consuming? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually. 
um, especially in terms of the types of stories that I like to create, uh, whether that be as a DM for my players or writing the solo TTRPGs, um, they all tend to be heavily themed around not just what you do to the world, but what the world does to you. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of stories out there, I think, that are about you going out and making your mark on the yep. world, you know, uh, blazing your name across the sky. And that's fun. But like, what what does it do to you after you've done that? Her Odyssey is a game about being a wanderer trying to make your way back home or find a new home. But what the gameplay tends to end up being a lot of the time is how the experiences that you go through on the way are changing you. Yeah. And similarly, Untitled Moth Game is as much about hearing other people's stories and thinking about what you can do to help them out as it is about what it is that hearing other people's stories does to your self-conception, your opinions about the land, about the course of action that you plan to take. So I end up writing a lot about that sort of interchange of what are you doing to the Mm -hmm. world? What is the world doing to you? And do you like these things? How are you going to change these things? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that sort of feeds into another theme of you have control over yourself. And the things that you don't have control over, you have control over how you can react. Mm -hmm. That tends to be a heavy theme in in Galatea. Um, In Galatea, you're playing as somebody who really has very, very little control over your own physical or, you know, social surroundings and so really the only thing that you can change is your opinions and your reactions um and galatea tends to end up as a tragedy most of the time or at (laughs) least you know only a bittersweet victory um because it starts from really not a great place (laughs) there's a lot of different stories experiences that are worth telling that are not just about the world is an empty slate and you are going to go and make your mark upon it. Um, And I think that thinking more about how you let things affect you is also a good thing to sort of project outwards to thinking about how the games you play or the stories that you otherwise consume mold your own trains of thought as a player, as a consumer, as a person living in the 21st century um and you know from there what you can do about that if you are not a hundred percent satisfied with who you are and what you're doing in life yep yeah i had one other kind of big topic and i'm sorry i think i think we have to skip talking about larps i'm so sorry i'm so sorry kaya (laughs) that is okay but i do i do want to talk about diversity saves Um, and, and that is, I know a relatively fledgling kind of movement that has been worked on for a little while, but is just kind of starting to, to get going. So I know that 
there's probably limited amounts you can talk about it just yet. Uh, but can you can you tell me and the listener just a little bit about Diversity Saves, what it aims to do, all the all the good stuff? Absolutely. Uh, so Diversity Saves is a nonprofit organization with an asterisk because we have technically not gotten our five hundred one c three status from the IRS yet, but you know the paperwork's on its way through. Um, we've been asked for a further definition of what our what we actually do because it turns out the IRS doesn't understand what TTRPGs are. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, our entire mission is to empower uh, marginalized creators in the TTRPG sphere by providing monetary grants to any creator who needs extra help with anything that will help them create. And specifically, we are trying to uplift BIPOC and LGBTQ creators. They can use these grants for anything from, you know, helping to get the materials for what they're making or helping to get layout and editing services for their project. Anything to like, I would really love to <laughs> keep creating this thing, but I need to pay my electric bill. Yeah. Like, yes, apply for a grant. We, we are happy to give you money to pay your electric bill so that you have enough quality of life to make a thing that will make the space better and more diverse and more creative. And so we are hoping to open our first round of grant applications very, very soon. Uh, we are aiming for February, if everything goes well. We got just an amazing amount of donations from all across the TTRPG sphere, especially back in December when there was a creator, uh, Nekola the Druid, uh, who hosted 12 Games of Christmas, which was a holiday charity event of 10 days, 11, 10 days of different TTRPG streams with prizes for people who donated. Uh, we were able to raise over $2,000 in donations, and we are so excited to start um, giving that back to the community. So once again, we are aiming to open up our first round of grant applications in February, um, you can follow at Diversity Saves on Twitter if you are either interested in seeing when applications go live, or if you are thinking about donating, we have a handy donation form on our website at diversitysaves.org. Um, Links in the description. Can, yes. And you can also donate anonymously or set up a recurring donation. We have a roster of just very talented and dedicated people working on this project. And I'm just so honored and grateful to be working with them on something that I firmly believe will help make this space better. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and again, I super encourage everyone to go on the website and learn more. It's, it's very well put together. It has a lot of the, the, the basic tenants as well as kind of the grand sweeping ideals there. Again, there'll be links in the description, but for, for you personally, um, why, why was this something that you felt strongly enough, not just to kind of get involved with and support, right? You could, you could run games, you could support in lots of ways of making sure that the stories get told, all that kind of stuff. But I think you're a VP, right? I think, and board member. What kind of 
prompted or inspired you to not just support it and not just be there and, and that, but to be, you know, kind of a core member and, and something that you're spending real time, real talent on? Well, for those who might not know, because this is in podcast form, um, I am a first generation Chinese immigrant. Um, and really, there is there is a growing amount of sort of stories being told from a cultural background from outside the Anglosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even less out there about the experience of being somebody in a cultural context that you're not from. Um, and I feel strongly about both of these things. And I am absolutely writing games and stories and other things about these experiences. But I think that the space in general would benefit from just more stories like that. And unfortunately, marginalized populations often don't have the means to sort of spread their experiences, their story more widely, because on a systemic level, they're also at a disadvantage, um, often financially, you know, often in terms of their platform and reach. And you, you really don't know what you don't know, if that makes sense, if what you're mostly consuming is you know, the same mainstream stuff that you've always seen all your life. You don't even know what else might be out there. You don't know like that you could be going out and looking for these other life experiences. And so, you know, why not try to enrich sort of the general cultural understanding of what a cultural experience might be? You know, we are in TTRPGs because we want to experience new and fantastical and, you know, startling and wondrous things, uh, why have to make that all up from scratch, (laughs) you know, when you can go out and learn more from the experiences of people who are actually there and often are happy to be heard. Kaya, I have great news and also terrible news. Because facing you now is the Reckless Talk lightning round. Oh, no. It is grueling. It is demanding. Uh, It is a battery of questions to which there is no right answer. Uh, Mm -hmm. But also, conversely, that means there is no wrong answer as well. Uh, We give the same questions in the same order to every single person who has been on here. You can go on for as short or as long as you like. If it is one word, super awesome. If it is five minutes, super awesome. I will uh, try my best to uh, just shut up and let you answer questions. And otherwise, we'll just try to stay out of the way. Kaya, are you ready for the lightning round? I am so tempted to try to give wrong answers consistently. I mean, again, it it is wrong only only to your heart. Not to the format. I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, <laughs> I guess. I, so, I guess I will be minimally truthful. So whatever you can't live with is the only wrong answer. Okay. Question one. Yes. Is your glass half full or half empty? It is absolutely half empty. And it is only getting emptier because <laughs> everybody should hydrate. <laughs> what excites you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? 
innovation. Um, I love just seeing new things. I love taking things apart and looking at how they work and seeing if I can mash them back together. <laughs> I love seeing when other people have done this and uh, taking notes. Um, sometimes innovation produces things that are not great and <laughs> you should take notes from that too. Mm -hmm. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? Propaganda. What is your favorite sound? That's, that's really tough. Um, I am going to say the sound, the very nostalgic sound of AOL Instant Messenger, somebody on your friends list <laughs> signing on, that door creaking open sound. Oh my God, straight to my heart. Yes. What sound do you hate? A revving motorcycle, especially at 1.30 a.m. <laughs> Also, straight to my heart. <laughs> what is your favorite word? Precarious. What is your least favorite word? All words are special and deserve to be respected. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to, you know immediately think of a word that I really, really hate, you know, shortly after this, but wake up bolt upright middle of the night, three days from now. Ah, it's persimmon. <laughs> what tabletop role-playing game or D and D or whatever monster or antagonist have you not faced or run that you would love to? A gynosphinx. I have actually put one into my campaign and my players have promptly just just interacted with her <laughs> the very least that they needed to and then turned around and run. Yes. <laughs> what is your favorite adventure of all time? It can be a tabletop role-playing game adventure. It can be a movie. It could be one that you watched. It could be one that you wrote. It could be whatever that means to you. Oh, boy. Uh, how much time did you say that I had? Infinity. Uh, well, well. Let me tell you about the 12-day LARP uh, called <laughs> um, Hellgate Hotel. Um, it was a game that I helped write. It was done over Discord text on a dedicated Discord server. Uh, everybody was just text role-playing, and uh, it was a scenario in which um, a... Vaguely Final Fantasy-ish uh, suits and sorcery type world was unexpectedly invaded by, you know, a number of portals to the demonic realms. Except uh, each of these demons was a sort of less what you usually think of when you think of demons and more like a bizarre uh, world in which the metaphysics are completely different and they are modeled around uh, philosophical ideals and <laughs> uh, the PCs had to form in groups of three and like traverse through these portals and fight the demons and come back and restore reality to how it was. It was great. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of want to go back to that setting and do more in that setting, but I'm also thinking like whatever I try to do is not going to be as good as right. the original experience. Precious, beautiful diamond child. Keep yes. it pristine and perfect for all, for all eternity. Yeah. 
What is your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time? And again, it could be one you played, it could be one you DM'd for, it could be one you watched, whatever that means to you. I am pretty partial to Lillison. I'm not going to say she's mm-hmm. my favorite of all time, but um, I think that my other contenders for favorite It would be difficult for me to explain why I love them so much (laughs) in a short period of time. Fair enough. Final question. What gives you hope? Seeing other people get really excited in a pure and enthusiastic way about (laughs) anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that as long as people are excited about endeavors or causes or other people or even just you know this one really niche interest that they got um there's going to be enough creativity and ingenuity and enthusiasm to collectively drag all of society forward into the future (laughs) kaya Congratulations. You have done it. You have run not just the lightning round gauntlet, but the reckless attack gauntlet. Uh, You've emerged on the other side. And as your great reward, please, once again, tell everyone who you are, how to find you, how to support you, all the things. I have been Kaya. You can find me as mirror underscore lock on Twitter, Twitch, and itch. If you want to discuss any of the things that I've talked about today further, (laughs) you are welcome to message me in any of these places. Um, If you want to support Diversity Saves, please head on over to diversitysaves.org or at Diversity Saves on Twitter. Uh, It is entirely likely that shortly after this airs, I will have my own website, but I'm not going to tell you the URL right now because uh, it is not fit for human eyes at the moment. So (laughs) at some point, I will very politely ask Nathan to put the link to that in the description as well. Please, please come back and double check (laughs) in a couple of weeks after this airs. (laughs) Uh, Well, Kaya, it has been a joy and pleasure. Thank you so very deeply for being here. And uh, and thanks and hope hope you enjoyed your reckless to talk experience. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast.